Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org. So I'm going to get a little creative with you this morning. I want you to imagine for a moment. Imagine that you just got invited to the house of a very influential person that you want to be like. And you got the invite. You got invited to this house and, and you think, well, I might even be able to work for this person someday. Like this could be a dramatic change and move in my life. And so you're so excited. And so you get to the house. It's going to be a dinner. You get to the house and you knock on the door and you wait and nobody answers. But you could hear like music and people inside. So you think, well, maybe they just can't hear me. So you try the handle. You ever done that? You tried the handle and it, it turns and you kind of open it a little bit and you let yourself in. And so you kind of come in and you can smell the food and you can hear that in the other room there's people talking, that obviously the, the sound of dishes are in there. So you kind of just slowly wander in there. There's nobody to greet you. Nobody takes your coat. Nobody gives you a handshake. Nobody says welcome. You get in the other room and you see these people. And there's a whole bunch of people around and you see them. They all turn and they look at you and then they turn away and they start talking to each other and nobody says hi to you. Nobody greets you at all. And you can... You're kind of like, that's weird, man. What's going on? And so you look around and you think, well, it looks like the food is about to be served. And over in the corner, you can see where the table is spread. So you kind of just, you don't know what to do. You just kind of take your jacket off and you wander over the table and you begin to wonder and think to yourself, where in the world should I sit? That situation is exactly what Jesus is walking into, the scripture that we're going to look at right now. If you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 7 beginning with verse 36. It says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just look at them and just say, Sinner. Just let them have it. Very good. All right. Now we know who we're all sitting with. Because hopefully you said it to them and they said it to you and we're, we're evil, we're, we're equal, we're good. So this situation happens and we read it in English and we think, wow, what a weird situation, right? That this woman has come there and I want you to understand some things about her. This woman has come there and she's forgiven. She's already forgiven. But culturally, the Pharisees are still going to shun her because of her past. She walks into a situation where it doesn't matter. That's what the religious leaders of that day did. It didn't matter if you had been forgiven. They still were going to shun you because you did bad stuff in the first place as if they didn't. And they probably had forgotten that they did too. But that's what happens to religious people, right? They forget that once they were sinners as well. And so they were shunning her. She's not there trying to like earn her salvation. She is weeping before Jesus because she has been forgiven of many, many sins. Have you ever noticed that there's a tension between lawbreakers and law keepers? 
right? You probably find yourself on one end of the spectrum. You're either a little bit closer to a lawbreaker or you're closer to being a law keeper. And there's always a tension that exists because the law keepers are going to look at the lawbreakers and call them sinners. But the lawbreakers are going to look at the law keepers and say, you're a bunch of hypocrites, you're a bunch of fakes, right? There's a little tension that exists between law keepers and law breakers, and that's what happens. Chances are you lean in one of those two directions. And so the reason you're here today, I believe the reason that God wants you to hear this sermon is this. Forgiveness should result in the tangible, visible, loving, public worship of God and in compassion for other people. So loving worship toward God and compassion from your heart toward other people. And the problem here is that she's been forgiven, but the law keepers are insulting Jesus. The law keepers are slighting Jesus here. They're putting him to the test. They're saying, can this Jesus, could he be a good rabbi? Could he be a, a Pharisee like us someday? And so we're going to put him to the test because he's been doing some, some uncharacteristic things. And all these people are following him. So let's put Jesus to the test. And so they are insulting him on purpose to see how he will respond. They don't give him any greeting. They don't give him a kiss on the cheek, which is the normal Middle Eastern greeting. They don't take his coat from him. And he gets slighted in every way. They don't give him a place of honor at the table. He's got to figure out where to go. He just goes and reclines at the table. And here's what's amazing. She's there, and she sees that Jesus is being mistreated. And so she thinks, I will provide for him the slights that the hosts aren't willing to give. And so she begins to weep out of gratefulness for the forgiveness of her sins. And she's weeping so much. You got to realize that how it works in those uh, days that you would recline at the table. Uh, they didn't have chairs like we do. They had low to the ground tables. You would lean on an elbow and you'd stick your feet out to the side. You literally would lean on one arm and have the other arm to serve yourself food. And that's how they all ate. They just kind of leaned. Everybody leaned. Everybody's feet were sticking a little bit out. And you just ate like that, and it was very, like, intimate and just very culturally, it's what they would do. And so Jesus is reclining at the table. She comes up behind him. She's not at the table. She's over by his feet. She begins weeping so much that she is wetting his feet. She provides water for washing his feet with her tears. And she kisses his feet. She takes her hair down, and she begins to dry his feet with her hair like you would a towel and the dirt and the grime of walking in the dust is getting all over her hair. She's drying her, his feet with her hair. And she kisses his feet. She's not kissing his cheek like the normal Middle Eastern greeting. In fact, she's doing everything possible to make it not look like what her attention to him is anyway inappropriate sexually. And so she is weeping and she's drying his feet with his hair. Then she takes perfume and she begins pouring them on his feet. She's anointing his feet with this perfume. It's a costly perfume, but her actions shock the righteous people in the room. You say, why? Well, she's drying his feet with her hair. In Middle Eastern culture, ladies, you would not let your hair down until your wedding night. You'd have your hair up. You'd have your hair covered. And on your wedding night, you finally would take off the covering. You would let your hair down and show your husband who you are in the flesh, in that way, only on your wedding night. Well, she's doing, she's just done that at dinner because she's like, I got to dry his feet and I'm just going to do it with my very hair. It's costly. 
She knows she's going to get judged. She knows that they're going to look at her with disdain. But she's saying, I will provide for Jesus who has forgiven me the slights that no one else has provided. The Pharisees had a belief. They think we have right and wrong beliefs. And our beliefs are intended to increase separation. We believe this way. If you believe differently, then we can't talk to each other. We've got to be separate. It almost sounds like our culture, doesn't it? Like, I believe one way, you believe another. We can't possibly talk. They increased separation because they were right within themselves. They were self-righteous people. And they would think to themselves, well, if people are to maintain purity and testimony, association with sinners is prohibited. So they watch to see what Jesus is going to do with this unknown woman in his life to see, is he going to pass that test? Will he allow her to touch him? This is a good test to see if Jesus is worthy of being like us. And praise God that Jesus' agenda was to be nothing like them. They say this, if this man were a prophet, then he would know what kind of woman is touching him, that she is a sinner and it shows that this man, this Pharisee, invited Jesus to his home on a pre-assumed basis, an assumption. They couldn't see Jesus for who he really was. They couldn't see him as maybe Jesus someday could serve as a rabbi like us, as a Pharisee like us. Maybe he could serve in the temple someday is what they thought. And they couldn't see Jesus for who he really was, that Jesus Christ is the temple of God, not a physical building, but God become flesh dwelling among people. And she brought herself to that temple and she's weeping over the forgiveness of her sins. And she's crying and she's drying his feet with her hair like a towel. She's come to that temple, but the religious people can't see Jesus for who he really is. They think only of the physical representation of what really is in heaven. They can't see the one who's come from heaven and come to earth and can actually offer forgiveness for sins. They can't see it. And sometimes that's a problem with religious people. So Luke 7, verse 40, Jesus answered him, says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And neither one of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them do you think will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for your feet, for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus is pointing out that she is loving much because she has had much sin forgiven. The problem is the further and I you get away from offering your life to Christ, sometimes you think that your sins that you had at the beginning weren't that big. But they are. They're very big. They condemn us to hell. But only through the death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, can we be saved. She is worshiping him as God become flesh, the one who forgives sin. I mean, it's amazing. Jesus tells this story. He says, picture this, that there's a creditor 
and he owes people, you know, people owe him money, and he forgives them both, and one's a little, one's a lot. Well, it would be like this. If you've ever gone and bought a car, new or used, and you had to l borrow some money toward it, if you walked into the loan officer's office, and you sat down, and the loan officer's talking to you and says, you know what, I really like you guys. I'm going to go ahead and forgive your first month payment, and I'm just going to let that go, and you just start at month two and pay that. You say, thank you. Thank you so much. Versus if you walked into the loan officer's office and he's like, yeah, I really like you guys. I'm just going to go ahead and forgive the whole thing. Just sign here. We're going to cancel it all out. He marks it all out. Would that ever happen? No, never. But if it did, would you like it? Yes, we would all like it, right? Because you and I understand something. There's no free lunch. Like that kind of thing doesn't happen without a lot of public fanfare, right? They would never like just give away a car unless there was like thousands and thousands of people to do it. And sometimes that happens. In fact, there's a family in our church, a guy named Jeremy and his wife, Melissa Taylor, and their kids. And uh, about, here's a picture of them. And about uh, five years ago, they were at a Kings game. He got selected out to take a shot to win a car, and he had his best shot. You want to see it? All right, watch the screen. Kia. So they want a car, right? But that just never happens. It only happens if there's like thousands of people around to watch and see that it would happen. Like it rarely do you realize that the moment that you accept Christ, that God forgives your sins and he does it for you almost many times just in private. It's between you and him. You, you see that you give your life to him, but our world doesn't work that way. They want the big fanfare. And that's the way the Pharisees operated. Like it's only going to do it if it reflects well on us. And so because of that, they shunned those that they thought were sinful. But Jesus engaged them one-on-one -on -one with compassion. It's a beautiful thing. Just not going to happen unless there's a big lot of fanfare, right? So Jesus said to her, verse 48, your sins are forgiven, which means your sins are and have been forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Because forgiving sins is something God alone could do. But here's Jesus forgiving sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The basis for her salvation is her faith, that she gave faith that Jesus is who Jesus said he was. That's what saves. She didn't earn her salvation. She didn't come there that day to earn the salvation. Like maybe I could use my alabaster jar of perfume and I could buy my salvation. Maybe if I'm just really kind, I can get into heaven. Maybe if I show myself to be a good person today that I can get into heaven. That's not how it worked. Her sins have been forgiven. She came there to say, thank you. Thank you, God, for washing my sins away. And here I am, the very God who would forgive me. These people at this dinner are slighting him and testing him. And she thought, I will provide for those slights. She worships him. She loves him, even though it's in a public situation where she's going to be judged because of it. They say, if this man were a prophet. Oh, Christ is so much more than just a prophet. He's prophet, he's priest, he's king. He's king of kings, he's lord of lords. He is the priest in the order of Melchizedek who has the ability to carry away the sins of the world and he is a prophet from God and he is God himself. He is the God who forgives sins. 
See, a prophet can't forgive sin. Jesus is far greater than the box the Pharisees have put him in. On the back of your outline, you've got a, a little graphic, and I want to show it to you here. And this is what is called the anatomy of a disciple. It's written by a, a guy named Dr. Taylor who lives down in the Fresno area. But here's one of the things that's really interesting. This is how it works to look like a fully devoted Christ follower. We start with being humbly submitted. Humbly submitted is when you give your life to Christ, you finally say, yes, I want you to forgive my sins. I've done I've done nothing that's going to earn my way to salvation, but I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins, and we just humble ourselves. God, I'm going to humbly receive grace, which is your good gift of salvation to me, even though I've done nothing to deserve. In fact, I've done everything to shove it away, but that's what grace is. Grace is free. Grace is God's initiation. We got to come humbly submitted. Then we become biblically formed. We say, what in the world should I do that God would let me know to do? Like, what does the Bible say I should be doing? How does the Bible, the very words of God, inform my life? Because when I see as God sees, I should do as God says. And then people move out from there. They move in an outward direction. You start humbly submitted. You move to biblically formed. And then you become morally discerning. Now, this is where the Pharisees stopped. They knew what was right, and they knew what was wrong, and they knew this woman had done a lot of wrong. So they were correct in their judgment that, yes, in fact, at certain points in their life, she's done a lot wrong. They were morally discerning, but what they said is because they're morally discerning, I can't be near her. And Jesus comes along, and he says, you're going to be morally discerning, but without compromising my morals, without compromising the very word of God, I'm going to be culturally engaged. I'm going to show compassion to this woman. So here's how the circles work. The first two circles are you just being biblically formed. The second circle here is our choices. This is the, the circle of the will, that you and I are making choices, and we're moving away from doing things as we want to do to doing things how God wants us to do them. But the third circle that Jesus brought that the Pharisees never had in that day was the circle of compassion. That he said it's not good enough to be humbly submitted, biblically formed, morally discerning, and stop because you don't care for people. In fact, you mistreat people. You test them like you're testing me. You call them sinners like you've just called her. And you've put a barrier up between you and her. If your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, there's something wrong with your beliefs. And there was something very wrong with how the Pharisees were treating this woman. If you're taking notes today, write this down, number one. The more forgiveness you receive from God, the more costly love you have to offer to Jesus. The more costly love you have to offer to Jesus. Number two, write this down. Both law keepers and law breakers are sinners in need of forgiveness. You and I both. We are called in the church, let me tell you, we are called to judge ourselves. Am I doing what I know morally discerning I should be doing? I should judge my life. I should examine my life. It's one of the things we do at communion, that we examine our own lives to say, am I walking in the way that Christ would have me walk? It's not a judgment on ourselves, but it's an accurate examination to say, I should keep following the Holy Spirit. I should keep coming to God. Why? Because the blood and the body of Jesus represents that I've been forgiven. So I need to love him in a way that shows that I've been forgiven. God, I want to love you more publicly. I want to love you experientially. I want to love you visibly and not just stay in this little box that I've put you in. Number three, spiritual maturity offers costly love to sinful people. 
So in this moment, in this story that's happened here, Jesus is willing to be publicly misunderstood by a whole lot of people by allowing this woman that's previously unknown to him to touch him. He's willing to offer her compassion even though he's going to be judged by religious people. And that's what happens. You're a religious person. You, you're going to judge a situation like that. You're going to say, I can't believe that he would do that. I can't believe that he would hang out with those kind of people. I can't believe that he would taint himself somehow in those ways. Next, forgiving people sacrifice financially to God. See, she didn't just go there and say, hey, I'll just give a little bit of perfume. I'll sprinkle a bit. No, she brought perfume. And in those days, we don't know what kind of perfume it was in this story. But in those days, perfume was actual physical goods. It was like gold. It was like wealth. And she's putting it on, of all things, not his head, not his, his you know, neck, his collar, his sleeve. She's putting it on his feet. His dirty feet, they're going to get just as dirty when he leaves this luncheon or this dinner. They're going to get just as dirty, but she's putting it on his feet and she's pouring it out lavishly. She's not one who would come to church and tip. She would actually tithe. She's the one who comes to church and doesn't like, I kind of sing. But she's like, I'm going to worship God because he's forgiven me of my sins. She's going to do what's costly, what's sacrificial. And if we look at this, this chart, what we see is we're, more, we're humbly submitted, we're biblically formed, and we become sacrificially generous. Now, guess what? The Pharisees tithe. 10%, and not a dollar more, because all they were interested in doing is doing the bare minimum. We're going to return to God the 10th. That's his. That's the bare minimum. But see, what happens is Jesus comes along and says, not only will I generously sacrifice myself for you, but I'm going to be an intentional blessing that through my sacrifice on the cross, you'll have salvation. That woman is saying, I'm being, sacri I'm being sacrificial that I would honor you, but not only that, I'm going to be an intentional blessing to you because these people have slighted you, Jesus. And so our circle of compassion says, not only do we do what is the minimum, but that we're going to be, go above and beyond it. And that's, I want you to know that that's what our church does. When you give here at Sun Grove Church, we tie the tenth of what comes in. It goes to global missions, local missions, and discretionary missions. And then we also do things above and beyond that. Like even right now, we offer office space for a nonprofit that ministers across the world. And in effect, we're saving them, which would be another 1% of our budget. We could charge them. But we're saving them that amount, and we're going above and beyond to be generous. We had over 200 um, managers and store uh, assistant managers in here for Starbucks this week, and we gave them the space for free. We sacrificially are generous above and beyond. Why? Because we want to engage our culture. We want to be an intentional blessing to them with our building. They could go to some hotel and pay $40,000 for conference space, but we say come here and don't charge anything. Bring some toilet paper because there's a lot of you. And they're like, really? We're like, yeah. They're like, well, we'll bring some coffee. We'll say, okay, we'll grind across the street. We'll serve it on Sundays. Thank you very much. But we're trying to be an intentional blessing to you. And what has happened for them is they go, we don't get you guys. We don't understand this. But I'll tell you what, when we update stores and refresh stores, we'll give you all our furniture. So if you're sitting at a table right now in this room, that came because Starbucks said, you've been an intentional blessing to us. We'd love to, be, we'd love to say thank you in that way. And they've given us some stuff here. So it's cool. Write this down, number five. Spiritual compassion will either cause you to believe or be offended. There is no middle ground. And let me just tell you, if you're looking at this circle, the anatomy of a disciple, if you're looking at it, and this is from a guy named Dr. Taylor who lives down in Visalia in Fresno area. But when you look at this, if you begin to look and you get offended, when other Christians are intentionally uh, intentional about community with people who are not Christians, if you get offended by that, guess what? You're a Pharisee. 
If you are not an intentional blessing, like you're like, I do the right things, but as soon as you get out of here, you're mean and nasty to everybody else, guess what? You've not moved to a place of compassion like Jesus. If you are morally discerning, but your moral discernment keeps you from engaging your culture, even having conversations with people who aren't like you, if you're afraid of people who aren't like you, then you're not like Jesus. So to become a fully devoted Christ follower, I want you to understand this, that God expects you and me to start being humbly submitted, biblically formed, and move out. That we understand, am I tipping God or am I tithing God? Am I honoring him with the first? Am I sacrificially being generous? Am I being intentional blessing above and beyond that? Am I helping with shoe drive? Am I helping with other things that are actually just not honoring God with the first? They're above and beyond it. And then he's going to say, are you being humbly submitted, biblically formed? Are you relationally healthy? And now are you inviting people into your circle group so that some could have the chance to hear about good news in Jesus Christ? Are you being morally discerning and are you engaging your culture or are you, having, are you afraid to have conversations with people who believe differently than you? People ask all the time, well, um, what's the stance of the church on uh, this issue? And I, I just like to inform them that the church doesn't have a stance, that the Bible does. And so we're gonna say we're gonna be morally discerning but our moral discernment doesn't build barriers between us and other people. We're going to be morally discerning, but we're going to culturally engage people who believe completely different from us, who live alternate lifestyles than maybe you do and what we do. And so we are going to say we're not compromising our values. We are rock solid on what the Bible says, but we're going to engage people where they're at with the hope that the Holy Spirit of God would reach them and they would come before God with many tears and say, God, I could find forgiveness for you for my many sins. And we're so, we celebrate when people do that. Why? Because God did that for us. You know why I need to live out of a circle of compassion? Because God had compassion on me. Why? Because I was a sinner. And you were sinners. And God is calling us to, yes, you need to know your Bible. Yes, you need to be morally discerning. Yes, you need to be sacrificially generous. Yes, you need to be relationally healthy. But the point of those things is to move from those to the next circle, which is the circle of compassion. And this is what a fully devoted Christ follower looks like. Some of you in this room, you're like, actually, I get compassion really good. And I get hung up because I actually am not very biblically formed. And I actually need to become more biblically formed. For you, you might need to work backwards. You need to know why you're being intentionally a blessing. You need to know why there's reasons to be intentionally inclusive, but also there's a point in time where there might be some people you need to draw a boundary with in your life because of how it affects you. So there are things that you need to do, and you might need to move one way or the other, and let's let the Holy Spirit of God tell you which direction you need to go. Do you need to know your Bible better? Do you need to become more sacrificially generous, morally discerning, relationally healthy? Do you need to move to compassion? When you and I are inclusive in community, we invite people into the house of God. And they walk out of here like, wow, the place didn't burn down. And I attended today. And that's good because God starts helping their heart realize that grace and forgiveness for their sins can be offered to them for free. Oh, let's not forget to be the people of Jesus and not just look like religious people. One of the things I love about our church is how so many of us in this church, you just, it's a marker of our church. Our community knows how we love the community. Our world knows how Sun Grove Church loves the world, that we're sacrificially generous, that people who walk in here are shocked at how warmly they're greeted and welcomed and that this has been prepared for them and that you can come as you are and there aren't pretenses. And it's a beautiful place to call your church home. It's a great place to explore faith.
And I'm so proud of you for that, but I just know the nature of people, right? That God is going to say, let's keep going. I want you to see as I see so that you'll do as I say. And that's what Jesus was challenging the Pharisees with. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I just want this time for you to reflect on your own life. And maybe you're in this room and maybe you have never asked Jesus to forgive you of all your sin and acknowledge that his death on the cross has washed your sin white as snow, that it is what forgives you. There's no other way to be saved but through Jesus alone. And if today you're willing to humbly submit yourself, it just means, God, I'm gonna admit that I need you and I need that grace, that free gift in my life. If that's you today, then you pray a prayer right like this, right where you're seated, just even in your heart, God hears you. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and wash me as white as snow. I believe that you were the one who can do it because you died on the cross for my sin and you were buried and you rose to new life because you're God. And I need you, Jesus. So today I give you me. And right now, if you pray that prayer, we just raise your hand anywhere that you're around in the room, you're seated right here in the front, four hands right there, anywhere else around the room, you over here on the side, greatest decision you could ever make. Believers in the room, I want you to take a moment of decision that maybe you're stuck. Maybe you, you've got to be a little bit more like a Pharisee. Maybe you're kind of selfish and you're like, I bring myself to church, but I don't really ever bring anybody else. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I've been a consumer and I'm not a, a giver. And maybe this is a decision for you between you and the Lord. And so believers in the room, will you just ask God to help you become a person of compassion like him? This is your moment of decision. Jesus, I believe that right now, all over this room, your Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts and people are making decisions that will impact their life. God, we want to be a church who sees as you see so that we do as you say. God, we love you. Help us to love our community. Help us to love our world. Help us to love one another. And God, we do that all because first and foremost, you loved us. So we come back to you, God. We want to say thank you right now. We want to say thank you with worship, God. We want to say thank you in a way that it just honors you. We pray this, and we pray this together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Will you thank God for a moment for saving people and for saving you? Will you thank him for a moment? That's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.